0: TED Audio Collective.
1: It's TED Talks Daily. I'm Elise Hugh. Women have made measurable gains in the past decades for equity in the workplace. But certainly not enough progress, if you ask today's speaker, Deepa Purushathaman. In her TED membership conversation with TED's current affairs curator, Whitney Pennington Rogers, Deepa points a way toward actionable change that protects and promotes women of color in the workplace. So people like Deepa and me, and maybe you can better find and nurture power for good. To learn more and become a TED member, check out TED.com slash membership.
2: Support comes from Zuckerman Spader.
1: Support for TED Talks Daily is from Progressive, home of the Name Your Price tool. You can say how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. It's easy to start a quote. Visit Progressive.com to get started. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, TED Talks Daily listeners. I'm Adam Graham. I host another podcast from the TED Audio Collective. It's called Work Life, and it's about the science of making work not suck. Next time on Worklife.
3: The way that
2: perfectionism is built, it makes us very sensitive and vulnerable to those setbacks and failures which occur all the time. And of course, that creates a lot of worry and stops us taking risks, stops us pushing ourselves forward. How
1: perfectionism holds us back and how to overcome it. Find Worklife on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen.
2: 13 years ago, I had just made partner in my large global services firm. I was one of the first, one of the only, and I was celebrating in New York uh, with a friend, someone I'd gone to business school with, um, a really close friend of mine in the book that I wrote. I called him Walter. That's not his real name. But we're going to call him Walter for today as well. And Walter and I were sitting in a bar in New York. Um, we were going to have a big dinner to celebrate our collective successes. He had just gotten promoted to partner in his firm as well. And the waiter had just delivered you know, champagne, put two glasses in front of us, and we were toasting. We put the glasses down and I started to tell Walter, I, although excited, um, and it was a hard one uh, process to get there. It's almost a year and a half process, you know, in addition to all of the other years of getting there to make partner. You have to audition and there's lots of steps to it. Um, I was really excited, but I was also really nervous. I felt all eyes were on me. I felt like what I did next would really, you know, not only reflect on me, but would reflect on other women of color around me. And so I was sharing with him, I was nervous. And without skipping a beat, Walter turned to me and said, you have nothing to worry about. You are golden. You're going to skate by. You're a twofer. You check two boxes. Nothing to worry about. He said, but people like me, I'm a white man. I'm going to have to work harder. I'm going to have to work harder to earn everything I get next. You're going to be handed things. And I just remember feeling deflated. I went from this instant high, and I'm sitting with one of my best friends, and we're going to have this great meal, to just I had the bottom fall out. And I couldn't put words around what I felt. I felt pain, I felt shame, I felt confusion. And I felt my joy leaving in that moment. And I don't know that I got it back for the rest of the dinner. Um, And what was so hard about it is Walter was a good friend. And I didn't have words for what I was experiencing, but I now, you know, I've thought about it a lot since then. Now I know that some of what I was experiencing is what women of color face in the workplace. You can have the highest high. And in the same moment, someone just says something or does something and it just doesn't feel right. It's just wrong. And it's just, you know, high and lows in the same moment. And so we're going to come back to the Walter story uh, later because there's a lot more to unpack there. But for now, I just want to leave that story with you to you know, kind of set context for what we're going to talk about today. I, I believe you know, Walter had no ill will in what he was saying. I don't think he even understood what he was saying, which is also part of the challenge in, in topics like this. But it really affected me. I worried about not only Walter... But I worried about what do other people think? Does everyone see me and think I got this huge role because I'm a twofer, because I checked two boxes, that it's not because of how good I am at what I do, but because of what I represent? You know, I've now come to learn I can't worry about that. But at the time, it really weighed on me quite a bit. I left that job a few years ago. It took me almost three years between knowing I wanted to leave and leaving. And it took me three years because I felt such responsibility as one of the only women of color sitting at the seat. I felt not only responsible to myself, but to the women of color around me. And I wanted to make sure that my leaving and my quitting and my exiting wouldn't reflect badly on my own, (laughs) my own performance and my own capabilities, but wouldn't reflect badly on others who came after me, that people wouldn't say, oh, she couldn't hack it. Um, And so I really sat in wanting to leave and not being able to. And so what I started to do is I started to gather women of color, initially started one on one, and I wanted to figure out, you know, where does someone at a senior level go? With help of uh, my now business partner, I did 12 dinners across the country with 20 or 30 women of color each. What I heard was story upon story around microaggressions, around racism, around how women navigated spaces where they felt alone. Those conversations became the basis of, of the book we're going to talk about today. It also became the basis of the company that I founded with my co-founder. It's called Information, and we provide safe, brave, and new space for women of color. I also just want to end with maybe just three concepts that are really big in the book and maybe a little bit of a foundation for what we're going to talk about today. The book is about women of color and finding power, forging power. Um, and one of the, the biggest ideas in the book is that corporate America is not a meritocracy and that we need to talk about that. Um, At least in the American context, until about two years ago, until George Floyd's murder, we weren't able to talk about race at work. It wasn't something that was acknowledged or I feel like we had permission to talk about. And there definitely wasn't willingness or openness to the idea that corporate America wasn't a meritocracy and that shows up differently for different people. And it's such an important conversation to have because without it, I think certain groups are told to just keep working harder and harder and harder. And yet not really um, able to understand or even talk about the fact that the system does treat some of us differently. And we need to talk about that if we're going to change it. So that's one big concept. Corporate America is not a meritocracy. The second concept I want to talk about is that we all can have power. We are all powerful. And I believe we find power through the idea of me and the idea of we. And so we need to go through our own process as women of color to figure out what are narratives that we've been taught or told or ideas that we've been taught or told that we need to undo. I call that shedding. Like, how do we get rid of those messages that we're not powerful, that we're not leaders, that we're not enough? And how do we replace them with healthy messages? That's, again, the power of me, what you need to do for yourself to find your internal and individual power. But then once you find it, you need to find your sisters. You need to find other people if we're actually going to change structures. You cannot do that by yourself. And that's where the power of we comes in. So me and we and that we're all powerful. That's the second, second thing I wanted to mention here. And the third and final, although there's many, many, many big topics in the book, is that this idea that anything that has come before can be undone and redone. I think sometimes we think of big things like structures and systems, and we think that's just how it is, and we have to operate within those contexts. Well, I interviewed over 500 women of color in writing this book, and I don't believe that. I think we can undo anything that has come before. We just have to give ourselves permission to do it. And I also think this is where it's not just upon women of color. So I wrote this book for women of color, but I'm going to share with you that it's a lot of allies, white leaders, men and women and others who are picking it up and saying, this is really helpful for me to understand. And a lot of the concepts apply to me, too. One other thing, I want to share that, you know, I use the term women of color. I know that's not applicable in all countries, um, but I do think the concepts we're talking about are applicable, you know, in in most contexts where there's a majority and a minority sort of dynamic going on in that sort of power struggle.
0: Um, well, thank you for being with us and um, thank you for, for sharing um, those those tips from the book and also the the story that you shared at the top. Um, you know, you tell this Walter story, then you go through this whole journey that you've been on. If you were back in that, in that restaurant again today, what would you say to Walter now?
2: I now would say that like, that's about him and it's not about me. It's not a reflection of my worth or my abilities. That's his like very narrow vision on how he sees the world. Um, so that's one thing. So I, I probably wouldn't have like internalized so much of that and set better boundaries. I think the other thing is I might have just gotten up and said, OK, if that's what you think, I'm, I'm out. Like, I don't need to sit here and have the rest of the dinner with you. Right. I subsequently did have multiple conversations with him just so, you know, to try and get him to understand what he said. We are not as close as we used to be, and that has a lot to do with it. And so I had to, you know, just accept that certain people aren't going to get it. I think the other thing I might do is explain how it made me feel, you know, that really hurts me because, and I need you to understand what that does and what you're suggesting in the, in those words. And so I might have better responses. And I really encourage women and everybody to have kind of responses in the moment, because we're all going to face situations where someone says something inappropriate at work or says something inappropriate to someone else in front of us. And I want us to all have words around it. You know, another big idea in the book is this idea of scarcity, that there's certain seats and that, you know, my seat is taking a seat from him is a really old way of thinking about the world and thinking about power. I believe power can grow. I believe the pie can grow. And if we all continue to think narrowly that there's limited possibilities, I just think we're stuck in in a very unhealthy way of working and a really unhealthy way of being.
0: And we're really fortunate today to be joined by a few women um, who are are like in many ways, the women whose stories you shared in the book um, and, and can share their own stories to help to really uh, ground uh, some of, of these concepts in um, in real experiences. So um, I, why don't we turn things over? We have our, our first um, guest joining us, um,
2: Gina. Uh, so I'll leave you and Gina to have a chat. Um, I'm really excited to have you here, Gina. And so I think the question I want to ask you, and then we'll unpack this, is just can you share a story of when you didn't feel powerful as a woman of color at work? And then we'll talk about what else we could do around it and what else we hope to, to learn from it.
3: Throughout my entire career, I was always fascinated by this whole notion that I felt sort of like I was being overprepared uh, to, for these situations where maybe there was a promotion or some particular opportunity for visibility. I would be quite prepared, qualified, temperament-wise, ready to go. And I would go through these very extensive selection procedures and discover at the end that in this case that I'm thinking about, there was this gentleman who got this job that I really wanted. This particular situation, I was told that the reason was because it was that person's turn, which basically means you know it has to do with how long you're in the group or in the organization. And that was really confusing for me because I'd been in the organization for quite a reasonable amount of time relative to this person, I was certainly more prepared in terms of experience, education and all of those things. And it really got me to thinking, you know, what exactly is the value that this organization is seeing in me if in fact I bring everything to the table and still it's not enough? I had the opportunity to ask them questions, you know, like um, what would it take for me to be ready for the next opportunity? Which is actually a question I really encourage others to always ask. And the response to that question was not satisfactory. It was vague. It was about time and junk. And so, you know, the thing is, uh, Deepa, that it's really important for a person like me to know my why. Why am I here? What do I? What is my value? And then I can evaluate how the organization responds to me.
2: The first thing that, that, you know, stands out to me as you're sharing your story is this idea that a lot of women of color I interviewed, especially black women, were told that they had to be two and four times um, as ready, right? You have to work twice or four times as hard just to even be seen as qualified. Um, There was such a message of overworking amongst the women of color I interviewed and this idea of perfection and having everything prepared and being buttoned up and almost overprepared because at some point your qualifications will be called into question. What would you encourage other women to ask so that they can figure that out?
3: The kinds of questions uh, that I asked were questions about Tell me, you know, what were the criteria that you used to make the decision? And that was when I eventually ferreted out that it really had something to do less with performance and capability and with these sort of more vague things that couldn't be, you know, documented. Um, so once you know what they say the criteria are, you can certainly dig into that and ask some more questions. But that other question about, well, what can I do differently to be ready for that next opportunity? That's a really critical question. Depending on the answer you, you get to that, you can say, well, do, is there someone that you can assign to me, a coach, if I need one, or some other person who can help me, you know, in this journey that I'm on, because I really would like to be able to optimize, you know, my contributions, and I know that you can help me.
2: But I think we have to get more comfortable advocating for ourselves and finding ways that really uh, allow us to get gain more information, because you're right. I mean, the other data that I found throughout the book is that women of color don't often get feedback, Black women especially. Um, it do will get feedback in, in any sort of level of detail that's helpful. So thank you for sharing that.
3: Oh, my pleasure.
2: I, I think Gina's example is so beautiful because the, the question I get is, how do I stand up for myself? How can you advocate for yourself that isn't going to make people call you aggressive, right, or, or, or too over the top? And, you know, in the book, I called it a little bit of Goldilocks, like you, you can ask for things, but then you're also there's backlash if you ask for too many things. And so it is hard. I think that's part of what we need to understand. I think the other thing I would say is this is also about sponsors and mentors, you know, and finding people that can help you navigate and help you understand cultures and pull you along as well. And one of my biggest challenges used to be, I didn't see role models that looked like me, right? I was a first. And so I think one of the things I realized over time is I had to pick and choose from other people that were around me to kind of find a leadership style that worked for me. And some of my biggest advocates were white male leaders who I initially thought I had nothing in common with. And through uh, conversations, through breaking bread, through finding other ways to interact with each other, we found commonality. And they really have advocated for me in huge ways. The book, it seems like
0: in your writing of it, women of color were really at the center of it, were really um, a big part of how you, you frame this book. Um, but I'm interested to hear sort of what the response has been from allies and people who are, are not part of that community.
2: I think a lot of these concepts apply outside of women of color. I've had a lot of white male leaders reaching out, to be honest with you. It's still early, the book is just getting into people's hands, but the ones who have read it have found it shocking and surprising. They always thought they were good allies, and so the information in the stories is really helpful to them. But they're also saying to me, work's not working for them either. And I think that's a really important concept. Like, so people of my generation and younger white men, you know, want to raise their children, want to be home more, want to, you know, have more flexibility. I think the setup of work is something that's not working for a lot of us. There's a thread throughout the book around permission. I think we all have to give ourselves permission and give each other permission to talk about things that, you know, we're told not to talk about, things we're taught to believe. And so much of what this book is about is rewriting success and rewriting leadership. My my parents were immigrants to this country, so being the child of immigrants, you are taught to, to work hard and, you know, sacrifice a lot to kind of move ahead and find stability. And so I just think it's part of, like, understanding that some of these things are things we're all taught and that we need to rewrite them for everybody
0: we have another, um, another voice, um, another woman, uh, Sophia, who uh, is here to share her story as well. And I think it would be great to, um, to hear from her.
2: Hi, Sophia. And um, I actually name you in the book. So you are named in the book. So we, I should just say that in the beginning. Um, I'd love if you would share a little bit of, you know, as a woman of color navigating workspaces, um, an example of when you didn't feel powerful or how you kind of navigate power. We can unpack that a little bit.
4: Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. This conversation is like giving me shivers. Um, my family and I—we came to the states when I was five years old, and as so many first-generation immigrants, you know, we poured everything into kind of embodying that model minority and working really hard and assimilating, and and all to secure some social capital within a new country, right? And then I don't think it was until my early 30s, when I started really reaching some heights in my career. And in the middle of all of that success, there was the sense that something was missing. For me, a lot of the work and the pivot came in taking a step back and going on this healing journey of of reclaiming the intrinsic pride and belonging and sense of self-worth that didn't come from being productive or and um, achieving my professional goals. It came from um, an understanding of where I came from and my heritage and um, these kind of deeper aspects of my identity. So along the way, I started a social enterprise um, called The Same Sky. And we now work with multi-generational artisans in India and Africa. Uh, We provide them with a dignified livelihood and we create accessories that help all of us kind of celebrate the the ways that our identities are are unique
2: and meaningful outside of just being productive. I know so many women of color I interviewed who won't talk about what they do on the weekends or won't share that they speak another language or won't bring their art. That was one one Black woman who was, you know, told me a long story about how she wanted to bring all her Black art to the office, but she didn't want to highlight her differences and she had a real struggle about whether or not she should share that. We need to really, you know, we need to shed things that don't work for us, but we also need to remember that we actually get our power from who we are and our lineage and where we come from and our histories. What was so fascinating to me in the 500 women I met and I interviewed was the pattern that I saw that the most senior women, like the ones that really reached like the C-suite or the top, A lot of them had told themselves, I'm going to conform. I'll let certain things go. And once I get to the top, that's when I'll be myself. That's when I'll have power and I'll do it my way. And unfortunately, a lot of those women would share with me, they had less ability and less power to do it their way and could less conform, less bring in the art, less do the hair the way they wanted at those senior levels because there was even more pressure to behave in a certain way around what leadership looked like and style looked like. And so I think part of the message of the book and part of what I think you're also sharing in your story is we need to find power as we go and we need to remember and not think it's something we'll find later. Like if you don't feel powerful as you're rising in the structure, it's very unlikely you're going to ultimately get to the seat and feel powerful because you won't know how to find your power and access your power. And your power comes from inside in your history.
4: Yeah, absolutely. No, the cognitive dissonance just grows. Yes, exactly.
0: Well, thank you for sharing your story. As you're going, doing this work, having these conversations and writing this book, what have you, how are you feeling, I guess, about the the future?
2: I want to be really clear about that because it is a very heavy book. Um, There's a lot that's there that can make you really feel sad, but the overall message and there is a tone to it that is very powerful. Like I'm very optimistic. I mean, I met amazing women with amazing skills who I think have different visions for what our future looks like. And so I just can't wait for them to have full voice and full space to, you know, share those ideas and make it become a reality. My work is women of color, but work isn't working for anybody. Like I use that line everywhere, you know, and we need to remake work so that it works for all. And I think if there was ever a time to change it, not just for women of color, but for everybody, it's now. So I'm very optimistic And I think that, you know, I already see change happening. I think this feels like a pride moment to undo some of the history, some of the narrative, some of the indoctrination that we've had that just doesn't work for us anymore.
1: Support for TED Talks Daily comes from Odoo. If you feel like you're wasting time and money with your current business software or just want to know what you could be missing,